Hi, good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is so nice to be here again. Amen. Uh, to continue worshiping our Creator, our Heavenly God, the author and finisher of our faith. <clears throat> the message of the song is very touching. If you get the message of the song, that is enough for us to hear for the message of today. Even if I fail him many times, still God loves us. Amen. And that message is everywhere, anywhere. Whatever you do, you have failed him many times. God loves us so much. Hallelujah. Our theme for this month is about stewardship. And I prepared a little, uh, I should say just a short message regarding uh, Christian grace giving. Uh, we have foreigners here. My thing is not good in English, but let me do it again. <laughs> Many times I try to struggle uh, pronouncing some of the English words. That's not my language. My language is Tagalog, but let me try it again. So, we will be talking about the Christian grace giving. In New Testament times, we will be uh, studying how the Christian gives. The exhortation of Brother Craig this morning is, a very uh, good exhortation. It is not the amount that God is seeing us, how much we can give to Him, but it is the heart. Amen. And therefore, as to whether we give a small amount or it's a big amount, it doesn't matter to God because God is the owner of everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let's talk about the Christian giving. The background of our study is actually coming from the Old Testament. And the text for this morning, kindly go to another slide. Here we have the Christian giving. And, uh, Christian giving. The power text is Philippians 4.19. As we have read it before, it talks about the goodness in the grace of God that He can supply all our needs. That's the power text. And my God will liberally supply. That means to say, fill until full your every need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is an amplified Bible translation. The one that we read uh, before is actually the King James Version. It has the same meaning, but in Amplified ver- uh, Version, it has something like a supply, something like supply, in a parenthesis, that means to say, fill until full. And before we proceed, let's bow our head for a prayer. <clears throat> our gracious and most loving Father, we thank you this morning for once again gathering us in this place to continue worshiping thee, to exalt thy name. We thank you for this privilege, O God, that you have not forgotten us. We thank you for the love. You have bring us safe in this place to worship thee. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are not with us today, wherever they are, O Lord as to whether they are coming on their way. Protect them to reach us safe and sound. And to our brethren who are in bed of sickness, touch them with thy loving hand. Heal them, O God. Touch them with with your mighty hand. We pray, O God, that you will Give us a heart of understanding. Prepare this congregation 
open our hearts so that we will be able to understand thy words, the truth in thy words. Lend me wisdom from above, O God, and keep me behind the cross of Jesus so that only Christ shall be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, to understand the Christian giving, let us try to understand first how does the people of God, the Israel, in the past gives back to the Lord. So we will be talking about tithes and offerings so that we would be able to understand what is exactly in this message that we are giving back to the Lord. As Brother Craig was saying, we are actually giving back because He is the owner of everything. Even the might that we have, the strength that we have, that is of the Lord. And so we will be discussing the Christian grace giving. But let us try to understand the theocratic form of government and the dispensation of time. Now, what do I mean to say of theocratic form of government? Next slide, please. According to the Westminster Dictionary of the Bible, the tithe is called to be a tenth part of one's income consecrated to God. The separation of a certain proportion of the products of one's industry or of the spoils of war as tribute to their gods was practiced by various nations of antiquity. That means to say, before the time of Abraham, before the time of Moses, there were nation pagan nations who already practicing giving tithes. Because the meaning of tithe is none other than 10%. That means to say, if you have a hundred katarial, the 10% is 10 katarial. So, meaning to say that the pagan world already practicing giving this tithe. And that is the practice of their government. Next slide, please. Try to look at this. The legions offered a tithe of their booty, meaning to say, the valuable stolen goods. The Phoenicians and the Carthaginians sent a tithe annually to the tyrant Hercules. These tithes might be regular or occasional, could be voluntary or prescribed by the law. That is according to John D. Davis edition, Westminster's Dictionary of the Bible. Now, next slide please. In Genesis 14.20, we found out that Abraham also gave tithes to Melchizedek. As Melchizedek is the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. This Salem is, according to the historians, this is actually Jerusalem. As they said. So, when Abraham fought four kings and he defeated them all, all the spoils that he got from the war, they gave to Melchizedek ten part of it, which is what we call 10% or the tithe. And that is exactly or almost the same as that was existed, uh, existed in the pagan world. So that is Abraham. Jacob also. We found out that in Genesis 28, 22, Jacob vowed to the Lord to give 10% if the Lord made him a favor. And so Jacob, one, one night, he dreamed of, and then he said, 
that there was a stone, he placed it there. He said that this would be an altar of the Lord. And therefore, whatever the Lord has given me, I will give back tenth part of it. And that is what we call tithe. Next slide, please. In the New Testament times, we found out also that the Roman Empire received the first tithe or 10% of grains and 20% of fruitries from its conquered subjects, including Judah. That is why, even in the Roman world, when they captured Judah, they took 10% the tithes from them. But look here. In Joshua 13.1, it says, Now Joshua was an old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You have grown old and advanced in years, and very substantial portions of the land remain to be possessed. This is actually happens when they conquered the land of Canaan. During the time of Moses, Moses what was not... Uh, or he did not come to Canaan. Why? Because he died in the wilderness, and therefore Judah took the place of Moses, and then Joshua, I should say, took the place of Moses, but then after their conquest of the land of Canaan, Judah now became, I mean, Joshua now became old, but the Lord was telling him that there is still a substantial substantial portion of the land which is not conquered. Meaning to say, we can see the picture here that even they are already in Canaan, they have all the land of Canaan, but they didn't not possess it yet, and therefore, God said to him, you are old enough, but there is still some portions of the land wherein it is not possessed by the Israelites. So it talks about the land that is the position of Israel. The seven tribes has there. And there, some of the remaining tribes of Israel, they do not have yet land. And so God called their attention, according to Joshua. You can read it in uh, Joshua 18. It says that there are still seven tribes which has not the part of the land. And they had to possess it. But in Joshua 13, uh, 14, it says, It was only on the tribe of Leba, uh, Levi that Moses gave no territory as an inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance. As he told him. That is Joshua 13, 14. And in Joshua 13, 33, it says, But to the tribe of Levi, Moses did not give an inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance, as he told them. So therefore, in the 12 tribes of Judah, there is someone, the name Levi, who has no inheritance. While all other 11 tribes they have the land, they possess the land, but then one of them in the name of Levi, there is no inheritance for him. Why? Because according to the Bible, it is God who is their inheritance. Now, next slide please. So let's talk about the tithes in this storehouse. Now, these tithes in the storehouse, we are always reading is most of the Fridays here. And it talks about the tithes, or the, in Malachi 3, 7 to 12, it talks about the tithes in the offerings. According to Malachi 3, 7, Malachi 3, 7, it says there, Yet from the days of your fathers, you have turned away from my statutes and ordinances. My statutes means commandment, the law. 
and have, and have not kept them, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? That's the response of the Israelites. How shall we return? Next slide, please. And God says, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes, in offerings, you have withheld. Uh, this, again, this is an amplified Bible trans- uh, translation. Next slide, please. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. This whole Nation. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes, the tent, into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this. Says the Lord of hosts, If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you so great a blessing, until there is no more room to receive it. Verse 11. Then I will rebuke the devourer, insects, plagues, for your sake. And he will not destroy the fruits of your ground, nor will your vine in the field drop its grain before harvest, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12, All nations shall call you happy and blessed, for you shall be a land of the light, says the Lord. So this is exactly what we are reading from Malachi verses, um, chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. Now, it talks about tithes or tithing and the storehouse. Now, what is exactly a tithe and what is a storehouse? So, let us try to understand the word tithe and the storehouse. So many people now misunderstood the meaning of the storehouse. They said that the storehouse is the church. Some others said that the storehouse is a temple. That's why God was telling to these Israelites people to bring all the tithes into the storehouse, meaning to say it's the temple according to them. But in our study, let's try what the Bible says. The tithe. Let's talk about the tithe. The tithe in Hebrew, that is called maaser. In Greek, that is called dikato, which means literally tenth or ten percent. That is what we call the tithe. Tithe, a tenth of the produce of the earth. This is the biblical meaning. It should be the produce of the earth. Consecrated and set apart from special purposes. From the old English, they call it Yugota, which is the same, literally tent. It is one tenth part of something paid as a contribution to a religious organization or compulsory tax to a government. So we had discussed just a while ago regarding the tithing system of the pagan world. That is their taxation of their government. Next slide, please. But you see, tithing, according to what we have read in Malachi, tithing was addressed to Israel as a community of people organized ecclesiastically with administrative structure, broken down into various offices which function as the machinery of the ecclesiastical government. So, these Israelite people are actually a nation, but it has an ecclesiastical function. What does it mean, ecclesiastical? Meaning to say, they are consecrating themselves in a religious manner. And they are run by God. That is why we call it theocratic form of government. At the time, during the time of Abraham, the forefathers, And during the time of Moses, they were actually run by God. 
Their government is run by God and their king is none other than God himself. That is why it is called theocratic form of government. But then, the Israelites were asking for a king. Somewhere, somehow, during the time of Saul, he was the first king of Israel. They want a figurehead. And therefore, Saul has become the first king of Israel. It says in Leviticus 27.30, In all the tithes, the ten parts of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy. If a man wishes to redeem any part of the tithe, he shall add one-fifth to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai for the children of Israel. So let us try to understand that this tithing commandment was addressed to the Israelites. And verse 12 says, Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the storehouse. Now, what is now the tithe according to what we have read? The tithe is coming from any produce of the land. Why? Because God blessed Israel of their land. They possessed the land of Canaan. And whatever fruits produce made out of their land that they had to give 10% of it, which is what we call the tithe. And what is that for? Why they are supposed to give this tithe? What is that for? Now, next slide please. They are, there are four types of tithes, and we call them Levitical tithes, that is to be found in Numbers 18, 21-24. There is also a what we call festival tithes in Deuteronomy 24, uh, 14, 22-27, 16-16, 17. There is also what we call the poor tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 28-29. There is another one which is called the priest tithe, Numbers 18, 25-32 in Deuteronomy 18, 1-2. Remember that In this kind of tithing, the tithe that is mentioned in the Bible is about the produce of the land and herd or herding. But there is a cases when you cannot bring your tithes and therefore you have to redeem it by means of selling them. But when you reach the place of the Lord where God has instructed you to do, then you have to add one-fifth of it. And that is exactly what the Bible says. But only those Israelites who earned a livelihood from farming and herding inside Israel were required to tithe under the Mosaic law. The increase come from God's hand. Why? Because according to Brother Craig, God is the owner of Everything he is blessing Israel according to this to his commandments to be followed by these people. That's why God is exhorting them in Malachi to bring ye all the tithes. As God was telling them, you are robbing me. Why? Because you did not bring the tithes in the offerings. So in that sense. Israelites people who are not, who are not bringing the, their tithes and offerings, who are withholding their tithes and offerings, are actually robbing God. But is it applicable to us as Christians today? As we have read clearly in the Bible, this tithing is a law or a mosaic law that is given or addressed to the Israel. Why? Because 
Levi, who is one of the twelve tribes, does not have possession of the land. And therefore, he has to accept tithes from all the tribes, from the eleven tribes of Israel, his brothers. And according to the Bible, that became a sustenance. Why? Because the Levites are the one doing the work in the temple. And the Levites actually, this generation of Levites, these are the, uh, the people where the priest came, came from. Actually, the first priest that they have is Aaron. And Aaron was the brother of Moses. So, there is a Levite and there is a priest. A priest coming from a Levite itself. But not all Levites are priests. There are some only consecrated people in the Levites that are appointed as priests. Now, you can see that it is surprising that in the Bible what we have read, there is a what we call a portite. That is why in the Old Testament, poor people didn't tithe. Have you heard it before? If there is any exhortation in Israel, those poor people in Israel didn't pay tithe. Why? Because they are poor. And that's the reason why one of the types of tithing is to give to the poor, to the widows. And that is the tithe. So the, the poor people are not even required to pay their tithe. In biblical society, included the following occupations. There are bakers, candle makers, carpenters, clothing makers, hired farm, uh, farm workers, hired herdsmen, hired household servants, jewelry craftsmen, masons, metal craftsmen, musicians, painters, perfume makers, physicians, sculptors, soldiers, tanners, teachers, and tent makers. Yet none of these profession or products from these professions are included in any list of tithes or tithing. But why? So, it is clear in the Bible that if you want to do tithing, it should be the produce of your land. There are so many trades that is mentioned in the Bible which is not part of tithing. This source provides, provided much of the money for the head taxes, temple taxes such as in Matthew 17, 24, tribute to foreign conquerors. And of course, there is what we call a free will offerings in Deuteronomy 12, 17. It is inconceivable to think that God simply forgot to include them in the main list of items to be tight. So what is clear in the Bible about tithing, that is coming from the herding in the produce of your land. All the other uh, skills that I have read, that is not part of the tithing. Now, those whose increase come from their own crops and skills were not required to tithe products and money. The poor and needy who did not tithe and receive from the tithe gave free will offerings. That is why there is a what we so-called free will offerings because the poor cannot afford to tithe. And therefore, those poor people can only give what is called the free will offering. That's the difference now between the tithe and the offering. So I hope that is under, uh, understandable to you. The Bible is plain about what is tithing. Now, next slide please. Let's discuss the storehouse. 
the storehouse. What is a storehouse? As it is mentioned in the Bible. Actually, the translation in the Bible of a storehouse, I would say, is not actually or exactly the meaning of the storehouse. Which in Hebrew, it is called Otsar. And they translated it as a storehouse. But what is a storehouse? Next slide, please. A storehouse is an office which serves as Israel's collecting and disbursing department. That means to say, a storehouse is an office. It's not a building. As many are saying that the storehouse is a building. But from the word Utsar, it is supposed to be translated as treasury. And the treasury is an office. And that is where the tithes of the Israel are collected and disbursed. So it's a collection in this bursting department. Obviously, the storehouse being an office or a pension, the storehouse being an office or a pension could not mean an edifice or a building since the edifice or a building could not serve as, ma- as such. Otherwise, there is a what we call a storeroom. So there is a storehouse and there is a storeroom. What is a storeroom? The storeroom are the places where the tight collection of the storehouse or the treasury were deposited. It was natural for the storehouse of Israel to have storerooms because the tithes of Israel were given in kind and not in cash. So that is the storehouse. An edifice or building could not be used as depository. Could be used as a depository or a stockroom, but not a function or office. Let us not be confused when the Bible speaks of rooms as the place where Israel tithes were deposited. The storeroom or stockroom is not synonymous with a storehouse, which is what we call a treasury. In Nehemiah 13.13, next slide please. Yes, Nehemiah 13.13. It says, I appointed a treasurer. And that is exactly the man or the woman who is holding the office in the treasury department. So it is called a treasurer. Otherwise, if that is a storeroom, it will code, uh, maybe somebody would be called as istakrom. Something like that. So, the appointed people, according to Nehemiah, I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses. Shilimiah, the priest, Sadok, the scribe, in Pidia of the Levites, assisting them was Hanan, son of Zakor, the son of Matania, For they were considered faithful and reliable and their task was to distribute supplies to their brothers or fellow Levites. So that is what we call a storehouse. Now, we have discussed the tithes in the storehouse. I think that is clear to us now. When we call about the tithe, that is the produce of your land. And when, when we call of a storehouse, that is the treasury and the temple. A storeroom are the places where they put their collection of their tithes. Next slide, please. Now, discuss, let us discuss the theology of Christian giving. Uh, let us now come to our time. So we have discussed already the Old Testament twain of giving. And we will be discussing this time the theology of Christian giving. Now, so many preachers would say that tithes is, is still imposed today. But I could not find anyone verse 
in the Bible, in the New Testament, that suggests or even commanded Christians to pay their tithes. The most strangest, uh, strongest evidence so far of the tithes proponent is found in Matthew 23.23. It says, Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you give a tenth or the tithe of your mint in dill and cumin, focusing on minor matters and have neglected the weightier or the more important moral and spiritual provisions of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness, but these are the primary things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. This is so far the strongest arguments that is brought by those pastors of say, who says that tithing is still imposed today. But what does Matthew 23 says? But this has been unwarranted by the dispensation of grace. So we have discussed earlier the dispensation of the time of the Old Testament and we are now living in the dispensation of grace. Hallelujah. In John 1, 16 to 17, Amplified Version, it says, For out of His fullness, the superabundance of His grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift, gift upon gift. Next slide, John 1, 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace the unearned, undeserved favor of God, and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we are now living in the dispensation of grace and not in the dispensation of law. The last time I have discussed here, the law versus the grace, I hope that is still in your head. That we are not under the law. Amen. But we are under grace. Now, they even misquoted the teachings of Christ in Luke 6.38. Now, what does it say in Luke 6.38? These are used by many preachers just to encourage their congregations to do their tithing. It says that, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over with no space left for more. For with the standard of measurement you use, when you do good to others, it will be measured to you in return. In these teachings of Christ, it has nothing to do with tithing. It has nothing to do with tithing. What does it says? He was telling the disciples to learn how to generously give to non-believers. This has something to do with measuring of a corn, which is a process according to an established pattern at the time. So Jesus was giving this to his disciples, telling them to use this kind of pattern. How? They measured corn during the time. That is why when a seller is giving something to a purchaser, they measure the corn something like it says <clears throat> The seller crouches on the ground with the measure between his legs. First of all, he fills the measure three quarter full in give gives a good shake. That is the first thing. So if you have something like a can, a big one, they put it in their legs and they crouches from the ground to fill it three quarters or three fourths. After filling three fourths, what they do is they shake it. So 
So, they gave a shake with a rotor motion to make the grain settle down. Then he fills again the mixture to the top, to the top and gives another shake. Next, he presses the corn strongly with both hands. Finally, he hips into a cone, tapping it carefully to press the grains together. From time to time, he makes bores or a hole in the cone and pour a few more grains into it until this, there is no more room for a single grain. In this way, the purchaser is guaranteed an absolute full measure of the grain and, and cannot hold more. And that is exactly Luke 6.38. As what other preacher is saying, it has something to do with tithing. So that is why when somebody is giving, they will give you more. But in fact, this talks about the Gentile who are giving you more when you do it to them rightly according to what is required at the time. Now, under the old covenant, the Mosaic law, a person who will not bring his tithes into the storehouse shall be guilty of robbing God and is under a curse. Are we under the curse? Do we rob God? And that is to be answered by the Bible. What the Bible says. And let's talk now about the Christian grace giving. One of the remarkable things in the New Testament is that Jesus did not tithe, nor did he sin by failing to tithe because he was poor and did not own a land or herd animals for his sustenance. The poor were only expected to give free will offerings to the best of their ability. That is why in the life of Christ, we see that Christ did not pay tithe, but he paid tribute. I remember there is one time when Peter was asked by the custom, is your master paying tribute? Peter answered yes. But anyway, Christ says, anyway, so when Peter went home, Jesus was asking him, so what did he say? And Peter was telling him that, they asked me if you pay, uh, pay tribute. So Jesus was asking Peter, to whom shall this custom supposed to be asking for a tax? Is it for the children or to a foreigner? And Peter answered well. And he said, from the foreigner. And then, then Jesus was telling him, so the children should be free. And that is what the Bible says. Now, <clears throat> next slide, please. Now, 2 Corinthians 8.1. We will be talking about how the Christian gives. Because Paul in his writing, in his epistles, he is clear enough on how the Christian should give. How? 2 Corinthians 8.1. Now, brothers and sisters, we want to tell you about the grace of God, which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, awakening in them a, long, a, in, awakening in them a longing to contribute. For during an order of severe distress, their abundant joy in their, deeply poverty, in their deep poverty together overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. Now, during those times, Paul was asking for a help from these Macedonian people. Look what they did. Because in this kind of giving, even these Macedonian brethren, they do not have money. But they persevere to give. They have the eagerness to give even if they don't have. Why? Because this is to help other Christians. So now it says, for during an order of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty together, together overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. 
Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us insistently for the privilege of participating in the service for the support of the saints in Jerusalem. So the people at the time in Macedonia, according to the records of Paul's epistle, they give voluntarily when there is a need to some other Christian's fellow. In like manner that the Macedonian people wanting to help Christians in Jerusalem, they gave voluntarily. Not only, they, not only did they give materially, in verse 5, as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us as His representatives by the will of God, disregarding their personal interest in giving as much as they possibly could. Now, remember this, Paul says, He who sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously that blessings may come to others will also reap generously and be blessed. Verse 7, Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and delight in the one whose heart in his gift. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. I think this is crystal clear that the teaching of Paul regarding giving is voluntary. And therefore, tithing is not for Christians. Now, concerning the money, according to Paul again in 1 Corinthians 16, concerning the money collected for the relief, of the saints in Jerusalem, you are to do the same as I directed the churches of Galatia to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside in proportion to his prosperity and save it so that no collection will need to be made when I come. So this is the exhortation of Paul. Verse 3, When I arrive, I will send whomever you approve with letters of authorization to take your gift of charity and love to Jerusalem. So Christian giving is clear enough in the Bible that that is not something that we ought to have as limit. A Christian giving is voluntary, not grudgingly. So we can give more than 10% if the church needs for the propagation of the gospel, we have to help the church. And we can motivate people by giving more than 10% when there is a need. So I hope this is clear. Now to conclude, everything that we have discussed. We have discussed before the law versus grace. As I mentioned just a while ago, I hope this is still in your head that we are not under the law. In Hebrews 7, we would, uh, yes, Hebrews 7, 11. I had it 7, 5, but it should be verse 11. Now, a perfection, a perfect fellowship between God and the worshiper had been attained through the Levitical priesthood. Again, we have mentioned just a while ago, that the Levitical priesthood is coming from Levi, where the tithes of his brothers, the tithes of Israel is collected. It says now, now a perfection is, per, a perfection, perfect fellowship between God and the worshiper had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people were given the law. What further need was therefore another indifferent kind of priest to arise? one in the manner of Melchizedek, rather than one appointed to the order of Aaron. For when, Hebrews 
For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is a necessity, a change of the law. So I think it's clear. Now we are not under the law because we are already under grace. And that is through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in the cross of Calvary. Amen. Amen. John 1.7.10 For the law was given through Moses, but grace, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, and truth came through Jesus Christ. For as many as the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curse is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That is Galatians 3.10. The law is not obeyed, but the man who does them will live by them. Galatians 3.12-13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it is written, Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. That is why Christians has the privilege of giving more than what is required in the Old Testament. Why? Because it is our responsibility to give life to others. Christ says, in the Old Testament, it says, do not kill. But during the time of Christ, it is only not the law that says, do not kill. It is your responsibility to keep people alive by giving them food, by giving them raiment, and anything that you can give to them in order for them to sustain life. That is Christ's teaching. So, to conclude the matters that we have discussed. Next slide, please. Next one. Another one. Yes. In our power text, we have read, And my God will liberally supply or fulfill until full your every need according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. Now remember this. We will not be wanting if you just only trust God through Christ Jesus, through His riches in glory, God will provide and supply all our needs. And that is the promise of God. I hope that the subject matter will give us a clear understanding about Christian giving because we are no longer under the Old Testament law or the Mosaic law, but we are under the grace Amen. of God. This is my prayer. Amen. Amen.